Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rachel's Reviews. Uh, no, I'm not Rachel. I am Ryan Cam. I am one half of the Hidden Gems podcast. And uh, today we're coming back to you with another episode where we recommend uh, stuff on streaming services that normally wouldn't pop up in your feed, but we encourage you to dig a little deeper to try and find something new that you probably wouldn't have, you probably wouldn't have gone out of your way to find unless you heard about it through the grapevine, as Creedence Clearwater Revival once said. Uh, right. Like I said, my like I said, my name is Ryan Cam. I am I am a YouTube movie critic, certainly not certified by Rotten Tomatoes, though that is the dream. And I am joined by Rachel. Rachel, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, you know, just just hanging in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a little sad this morning. The announcement about the Regal Theaters really bummed me out. So it's a Oh, it's a sad day in the movie world, but uh, you know we'll get through it somehow, some way. Yeah, we... it, it's it's like the old adage said: if if uh, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is around to hear it, does it truly make a sound? And uh, I don't really think a ton of people were itching to go to the theaters right now because I don't think the coronavirus is as bad as as is as bad now as it was like in the earlier months but it's still out there and it's still a threat. And so it's going to yeah. take a while for people to get, you know, to not, not get adjusted, but like, Rachel, help me out here. Like try yeah. and. Yeah. Do I mean, I don't know if we'll ever have the same normal that we uh, had before. I think that the studios are hoping for that for somehow they keep delaying things, hoping that there's going to be that same payday that they had before. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I don't know if we'll, I, I don't see another billion dollar movie for a long time. I mean, I think some started to bounce back in China, I guess, but I don't know. I'm really pretty skeptical at this point. Uh, but, um, uh, but I, I don't know. I think at a certain point people have to look at the bigger picture and that, uh, that keeping the, the theaters in uh, in operation is better for the studios in the long term than if they're thinking about the short term gain of these particular movies. But nevertheless, that's what they've decided to do, and so they were kind of Regal was left with no real choice. I mean, uh, so the whole thing is just it's a mess, and it's very discouraging and frustrating, and it's so frustrating to feel like this thing that I love is being taken away and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to sit and watch. But I have a feeling it'll come back. Like I just, I call me an optimist, call me whatever you like, but I just, I have a good feeling about it. Like it'll come back. Yeah. At least we have the streaming services to help us in the meantime. Uh, and I, this was one of my favorites is we, we did a follow-up episode today uh we've done now this is our second one and uh, i i just really enjoy because i think it gets me out of my comfort zone watching recommendations from you hopefully the same maybe a little bit with you with things that i've recommended and uh, so we have different we go through the different episodes and uh we watch one that we haven't seen that was recommended by each other and i don't know i think it's a really fun experience yeah, it's a little nerve-wracking on my end because I tend to recommend I tend to recommend darker stuff depending on my mood that day. 
And so mm-hmm. whenever these follow-ups come along, and especially in the case of this episode, when you send me my list and I'm like, I don't think she's going to make it out of this alive. <laughs> but you, but judging from the sound of it, you managed to pull through. So I'm proud of you. <laughs> I will thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I, I, in all seriousness, though, I am a little, um, I am a little, I do get a little like, I do get a little nervous sometimes recommending certain things because I think, oh, this will be something that I would like, but I'm not sure if like the, uh, if like the people listening might like it. So I, but I guess I resign myself to, I might like one thing, but it's like, it's all subjective. So I just keep that in mind and I just tend to be, I tend to be at ease. Yeah. Well, and I think that even if, even if I don't care for something, which I liked all the ones I watched today. Uh, even if I don't care for something, usually I can see, okay, why it was recommended or why you liked it. And that's a helpful thing, I think, to see what our friends like and to get a little bit of a, even if we don't particularly love it, we get to kind of know our friends better, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. So the two of us, we're like the furthest things from gatekeepers. We're like, we're like, <laughs> People are like, unless you like this thing, you're not a real fan or some dumb crap like that. Like, no, we're, uh, we're both very understanding in the regard of if you don't like something, that's totally fine. You know, that that's yeah. completely up to you. You know, all movies are subjective. You know, some people, some people like the MCU, other people hate it. Some people like the DCU, other people hate it. It's just, it, it's like, it's literally like the two movie theory, yeah. like somebody watching a movie will interpret one thing and another person will interpret another. And that's kind of what makes this whole thing fun. Yeah, we're like the, uh, the maybe the X-Men of, uh, of <laughs> just sort of like that middle ground of in between, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, well, let's get started. What was the first one that you watched that I recommended? So, so the first one I watched from you was from Amazon Prime, and it was the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, this was from 2008. It starred Henry yes. Winkler, and it was it was honestly a lot of fun. And uh, and I think it's like an unwritten law that somewhere that you cannot hate the Fonz because like the Fonz is just such a cool dude. Like he's just he he's the person that we all should aspire to be, at least in terms of attitude. And and Henry Winkler is my favorite part of this movie. He has, he's so nice and he's so cool with literally everything that's going on because the entire movie was just about this woman trying to put all, put this Christmas stuff together without it completely falling apart. And I've seen a few movies with that same premise, but the difference with The Most Wonderful Time of the Year is that I think it it was very well acted. I liked the main woman. Her name escapes me at the minute, but uh, I thought she was really cool. Uh, her love interest was also a lot of fun. He had all the one-liners, and he had one of the most satisfying movie scenes that I've seen in a very long time, where the two are trying to get this motorbike from this small-town toy shop run by this guy named Chet. I think it's another it's another unwritten law that dudes named Chet are like the most <laughs> unlikable people on the planet and he refuses to sell him the bike so the guy's like step out in the alley let's take this outside and I'm like a Hallmark movie having a fight what you don't say and and so then there's this shtick and then 
he take then the love interest takes off his shoes. He does a little bow thing, and the chat's and then Chet's like, "Oh, is that some martial arts thing?" And he does a mocking like little curtsy thing. And the love interest grabs a trash can and smacks Chet in the face with a trash can. I'm not a not I'm not a violent <laughs> this person. This is 2008 Hallmark. I will say so. It's kind of a uh the way back in way back in the day sort of i'm not a now. violent person but when that garbage can hit chet i let out an audible yes oh my <laughs> god and then he did and then at the end he did the uh yeah thing which just was that was the icing on the cake yeah, <laughs> yeah i really enjoy this one i think brooke burns is is good as this like sweet but sort of she's lost her way this uh a single mom who's dating this bad man of business such a bad man of business <laughs> and he he basically he puts the ring on her finger before she even says yes and uh <laughs> you're just like what is going on and uh yeah and warren christie as this guy who's sort of the bohemian kind of a thing and he's fun i like when he uh he goes on top of the roof uh for the little boy and uh, to to be the reindeer that's really cute and yeah and henry winkler he's so good i love him as sort of this busy body matchmaking uh uncle <laughs> you know, a lot of times it's the aunt but this time it's the uncle which i enjoy very much and uh it's just a I think it's a fun movie. Yeah, and even though we're in October, it got me in the in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, good. Uh, you know, it's like we're less than two months or not less than two two months away from that. So, so yeah, it, it got me in the mood for that. Over at Hallmarkies Podcast, we are already we started officially our 2020 Christmas coverage season this week with our lifetime holiday preview show and our interview with Amy Winter, head of programming for Lifetime. So that was pretty exciting uh, for us over there. So if you want more uh, more uh, Christmas coverage, make sure to check out over there. Well, yeah, because uh, those five and a quarter million Christmas movies are not <laughs> going to review themselves. Right. I know, I'm the, I'm the only one in media, I feel like, that's like overwhelmed by new content right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like in the words of the wise philosopher Mike Rowe, it's a dirty job, but somebody's got to do it. That's right, that's right. Uh, so very good. Well, so my uh, my first choice for your uh, reviews fits in really well with uh, with Halloween coming up, and it was the uh, Night of the Living Dead the classic. This you recommended in last week's Canopy episode, and so it's a new recommendation. And uh, I, I wanted to see this uh, for quite some time, but you know, me and horror movies, <laughs> not, not all that comfortable, um, but I, I don't mind zombie movies as much. And I love Anna and the Apocalypse, for instance, which you can see on my 2010 10s horror uh, video that I made as part of Movie Nerds Club this last weekend. We both did. That was fun. And so I had Anna and the Apocalypse on there and I like warm bodies and I even like uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which nobody else liked, but I thought was fun. Um, and so here we have the the king of them all, all the zombie movies, Night of the Living Dead. 
and I really enjoyed it. I especially loved the black and white. I thought it was uh, so pretty. <laughs> I love the, the black and white photography. And uh, I, I thought it just gave everything kind of a stark, gritty feel to it. And, uh, and there's definitely some really creepy moments, like starting from the very top when I think it's Jerry's his name, I think. Um, and yeah. he's like, uh, why are you know, he's like, why are you praying, Barbara? Stop doing that, Barbara. And just the way he's doing that was very creepy. And I'm like, oh, here we go. Uh, so I, I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. I thought it was fun. I'm honestly shocked because when I recommended it, I was thinking, there's no way she's going to pick Night of the Living Dead. And it turns out <laughs> you did. And you actually liked it. I, I did. Very, very pleasantly surprised. And yes. uh, it, it's definitely, it's definitely not as hardcore as other zombie movies that would come out in the later decades. Certainly not the most hardcore zombie movie George A. Romero would ever make. Like watch Dawn of the Dead if you want some more of that. But, yeah, uh, and I think the fact that it was in black and white, it made it more palatable because you're not seeing like the the blood and the, I mean, it's just different than, I mean, here the people are eating bones and stuff like, and if that was in black and white, I, I mean, if that was in color, I think it would be more traumatic. And and so being in black and white, it's more sort of just in, interesting. Yeah, and the blood used in that movie was chocolate syrup. So for all of you... Uh, all of you viewers who might want to watch Night of the Living Dead and maybe worry about blood, just keep telling yourself it's chocolate syrup and you'll be fine. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And it was, I mean, and you can tell it was very low budget and creative. And uh, so, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Yeah, it was, um, it was like the paranormal activity of its day. It was made on like a shoestring budget and it just made... It just mm -hmm. made nothing but profit, like three hundred and twenty-five percent of its of its production budget back. I may be off on those figures. Yeah. And I, I think he remade it in color and it was people didn't give it very good reviews. I'm not sure about that. I I, I think I've I, I know he made Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, which were released in the subsequent decades, but I think I, I'll have to check later because I, I don't want to say you're wrong, but it just, if my Romero history is correct, I just, I just got to make sure about that. But, mm -hmm. but, it, yeah. but Romero would definitely expand on those ideas in Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead. Mm. So what is your next pick? So my next pick was from Disney Plus and it was a documentary, Howard, uh, about the life of Howard Ashman. And it's about 90 minutes and throughout the entire thing I said to myself wait a minute Howard Ashman created that because I had no idea a he created Little Shop of Horrors one of my all-time favorite musicals two that he had a hand in both Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast as well as Aladdin and d he was just generally a beloved human being from both his colleagues and his friends uh this movie felt like a love letter to the guy. Like he just, he was just genuinely just a, he was just a good person. Like they, they make a point around the last years of his life that he, they, he looked like he was having trouble. That's because IRL, he was diagnosed with AIDS, but I don't, if my memory serves me right, he never let on and he kind of put up 
barriers around mm-hmm. himself, which was it wasn't very... until I think that maybe that last year or something like that. That yeah. Oh well, yeah. In, in that in that case, that's just very sad that he wasn't able to open up to the people that loved yeah. him so much. But because it was it was such a climate with AIDS, you know, back then that you know it was such a different time. But all I can say is that I'm just glad that he had a hand in so many of the movies that I watched growing up. And I'll just, I'll look at them completely different now because of, of the man who was, uh, who was behind it. Because just, I, I, can, I can remember Little Shop of Horrors like shot for shot. I saw it so many times, especially because my high school did a production of it in my sophomore year. I missed the cut of getting in there, which was very sad, but it, they were all very capable people. So, and, and the show is a lot of fun. And, and, and I'll just, I would pay good money to be a fly on the wall when he was writing the dentist song for the first time. Like, you'll be a dentist. You have a talent for causing things pain. And Steve Martin punches a guy or somebody. Oh, yeah. It's just so much yeah. fun. So good. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, he was an incredible human. I really admire him in so many ways. And, and of course, Little Mermaid's one of my favorite movies ever. And so him, he actually got a story credit, which for a lyricist is not always the case. And so he was very intimately involved with the story. And he was known to, you know, dress up as the characters and and uh, really give the animators an idea of kind of what he had in mind. And I just loved seeing that. It was really cool. And also uh, the the whole behind the scenes of Beauty and the Beast, where you could see Angela Lansbury and um, Jerry Orbach singing was amazing. It was worth watching the documentary just for that alone as a huge Beauty and the Beast fan. <laughs> it was yeah, so he- cool. Seeing the dude play Gaston and and seeing yeah, the, there go there she goes she is so peculiar my the song escapes me yeah. but seeing him sing it one of my favorite Disney villains yeah. I was just like wow like we need more documentaries right. like this just yeah. show off archival footage if Apollo eleven the people behind a, Apollo eleven can do it like Disney needs to do it and (laughs) and while we're at it let's make like a Hans Zimmer and a John Williams style like documentary like it like uh, based around their careers they've got more than enough material to cover I'd say Mm -hmm. yeah it was uh really cool I agree so all right well my next pick is also a documentary this is from our one of our hit one of our HBO Max episodes and it is Ali and Cobbett, Tale of the Tapes. And this is about all the time that, uh, that Muhammad Ali was on uh, Dick Cavett's show. Uh, and I, th- I liked it. I thought it was interesting. I love these kinds of documentaries. Um, but I do think that the movie was a little judgy of Muhammad Ali, particularly when they were talking about him and his... Uh, refusal to uh participate in the draft and in the war i felt like uh, all the commentators were you know sort of questioning his questioning his motives and was he being sort of brainwashed by elijah muhammad and kind of the thing that i don't know i felt like the movie 
was a little hard on him, you know, whereas opposed to, I felt like maybe they should have had one or two people kind of talking about maybe that he was really trying to make a stand and being brave or, you know what I mean? Just like an alternate opinion um, on that. I thought that was a little strange. And I, I think they wandered away from the main thesis of the program a bit uh, that you'd go kind of long stretches where they weren't really talking about the show or him on the show. Um, and uh, so I, I, I think I could have even had more about the show and, and maybe the effects of the show, the impacts of the show, all of that kind of thing. But nevertheless, I still enjoyed it. I still think it's interesting. And I, you know, I still learned some things about Ali and that time and everything. So um, yeah, it was interesting. I, I can see, I can see that uh, those are definitely, uh, those are definitely valid criticisms. I, uh, I think that I believe HBO did a documentary talking about Muhammad Ali's like fight with the draft. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but, but I do, I do see what you're saying in that they do kind of wander away from the Cavett element at times. I, I just, mm-hmm. I recommended it because I'm a, I'm a huge Dick Cavett fan and that, and I think the documentary as a whole did a good job of capturing the relationship between yeah. the two and how Ali, when he was on there, he was like a, com- almost a completely different person. Yeah. But, but I do, I do see what you're saying. You do bring up some good points. Yeah. And overall, I, I, I enjoyed it. And I, uh, I think, uh, it's definitely worth worth a watch and i think people will learn something so yeah uh what do you have next so my next choice is from netflix and it is howard's end uh this was from one of our netflix episodes and this was i think 1992 yes 1992 and it was from i believe the production company mercer ivory and uh oh thank you merchant ivory and uh I have no knowledge of like the book or anything that's that this movie's based off of. So I went into this one completely blind, minus your recommendation for it, of course. And I walked out of this like, wow, that was actually really good. It's first of all, the movie looks absolutely gorgeous. You know, for 1992, they captured they captured the time period of this movie like just completely perfect. Like there's not a not an instance where I'm like, oh, that was clearly taken off a back lot. And like, no, I was like, I was in England with these people, and and so give props to that. Uh, my favorite part of the movie was Anthony Hopkins, and I'm a big Anthony Hopkins fan. This was around the time where he had just won his Oscar for Silence of the Lambs, and so he was. This was like peak Anthony Hopkins right here. He was clicking on all cylinders. Uh, Emma Thompson is in this. She's always excellent, no matter what she is in. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave, who I'm, I'm not 100% sure of any of the movies that she's been a part of. I, I'm sure she's been in stuff that I've seen, but she was really good here as well. And I hope I'm not too out of bounds with this comparison, but the movie kind of reminded me of seeing Downton Abbey in that mm-hmm. it's like about a family living in England and they have their own little conflicts and stuff on the side. It was intriguing and I was compelled throughout, but I was I was picking up Downton Abbey vibes and I hope I'm not too out of bounds with that comparison because it, it was, I, I just thought the two were not like copying off of each other, but like similar. 
Yeah. I mean, I, there's definitely a lot of Ian Forster kind of themes in Downton Abbey. Uh, it's right around the same time period as, uh, as they're right around the same time period that they were writing about, writing about. Uh, and I you know, can definitely see a similar kind of theme there. I would say that, uh, yeah, the Downton Abbey, at least at the beginning is a little bit more fluffy than <laughs> than Howard's end, but then it gets pretty serious towards the fourth season. So I can see that. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I think the thing, I love the book, uh, Howard's end. And I, I, I think what it does that I think is so impressive in this, in this adaptation is I think that it managed to create such uh, a rich group of characters that I genuinely care about and uh, that it's easy to write a story where I care about the lead protagonist or maybe one or two other characters. In this case, there's nine, 10 characters that I'm invested in within this story. I mean, you look at someone like Leonard Bast, who is this kind of minor character and yet he has a full story that you become invested in which I think is really impressive. And it also manages to say something about class and about, because the, uh, the Emma Thompson, Helena Bonham character, Bonham Carter characters, they think that they're sort of above class, that they are somehow better than all of this. And, and in reality, they're not. They're just as constrained by their sort of educated class uh, as anybody else. And, uh, and I think that the Anthony Hopkins character, uh, I think that you should hate him, but I don't know if it's his performance or if it's just the writing or what it is, but I don't hate him. I understand him. He's doing in his world what is right for him. He's trying to, in his mind, he, we're all the heroes of our own stories, but he is, he's, he, in his mind, he's doing what is right. And when he, when he breaks down over what has happened to his son, and it, it's, it's quite devastating. And I don't know, I, I think in, in, in just the whole thing coming full circle that they end up, that the, that she was going to give Howard's End to Margaret and in the end they end up getting Howard's End and the whole thing it's very poetic and I just love it I love every character it is beautiful as you said incredibly well acted um and uh I I think they actually did a new version which I also enjoyed um last year uh with uh with what's her name um Peggy Carter can they rename all of a sudden Oh, Ailey Atwell. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Haley Atwell. Haley Atwell. Uh, they did a new version with Haley Atwell that I also enjoyed. I just love the story and I think this is very well told and the acting is so good. Yeah, so that I was uh, I was taken aback by how much I enjoyed this one. Oh, I'm so glad. So glad. And at least I don't think it's a boring period piece. I, I don't know. I feel like it clips along pretty well. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins's uh, charisma with uh, with the role really did carry the whole thing, at, le at least mm -hmm. for me. And yeah. maybe that's because I'm I'm just a Hopkins guy, but you know, at the same time, <laughs> oh, he's he just, so good. Every scene he was in, I was just like, I wonder what this guy's up to today. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he's great. He's really, really, really good uh, in the movie. And again, he takes a character that really should be kind of a one note, unlikable, you know, greedy capitalist. And he gives him, you, you understand him, I think, pretty well by the end of it. My next choice is from the Hoopla episode, and I watched Copland. This is from James Mangold. This is your recommendation, Sylvester Stallone. And I I remember when this movie came out that I just remember people talking about, oh, you've gained some weight for the part. This was a real stretch for him as far as his acting. And I think you can definitely feel it. Like he seems like such a shy, insecure character. And he's played those characters before. Like honestly, Rocky is a pretty shy character, uh, mm-hmm. at least in the first one. And uh, and kind of insecure and and whatever. And, and uh, so this was interesting for him to kind of go back to that, I thought. And I I really thought it was a well done film. I I I felt like I didn't quite know where it was going. I felt like script was pretty unpredictable for this kind of story as far as what was going to happen. So you have the uh the, you have this town in New Jersey where a bunch of the cops in New York live and uh he's uh, so Stallone it plays the sheriff of this town uh but he's kind of looked down on because he's not like a big city cop and uh in there becomes a kind of a um scandal uh organized crime kind of scandal sort of and i i, I liked it i thought it was a uh a pretty a pretty engaging unpredictable uh well acted story in it so yeah yeah this is this is definitely uh this is definitely james mangold in uh i don't want to say like the infant stage but like in like the beginning stages of his career and he would go on to direct you know walk the line and the wolverine and then would just absolutely explode in the 2010s with logan and uh and ford v ferrari which are just two of the best movies of that entire decade so this is definitely him like honing his style and and like building up to something even bigger and for like a movie close to his debut for him to get access to Stallone, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, you know, and just so many like big or like just big actors yeah. at that time. It was it must have been like it must have been a big sign of trust for the studio to be like, all right, you got all of these big players. Don't like, don't let our trust be violated or something like that. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a stacked cast, as you said, Mr. Sloan, Harvey Keitel, Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro. Uh, and there are some people that, uh, that I was, I was surprised. I kind of wondered if maybe some of their performance went on the cutting room floor. Cause someone like Janine Garofalo, uh, it's just in like two scenes I'm like oh there there she is um but uh uh robert patrick from terminator he's in uh he's in here um yeah so it's a great cast and uh you you definitely uh feel for stallone's character's sort of uh moral dilemma of kind of what does he do these people that he's admired uh, all his life but uh what is he going to do when he finds out more information and uh they kind of treat him like he's an idiot 
and a simpleton. Uh, so, uh, you know, that was, that was interesting. Uh, yeah. So yeah. What is your next pick? So my next pick was from HBO max and it was far and away. Uh, this was, you had recommended on the latest, uh, the most recent HBO max episode that we did. This was directed by Ron Howard. It starred Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And I was, and I was actually surprised at how much I did enjoy this movie. Uh, it felt like, it felt like Tom Cruise definitely like taking a risk around this time because around the late eighties and the early nineties, he was known for movies like Days of Thunder and Top Gun and these bigger, you know, action fueled movies. And this isn't like, this isn't one of those movies. It's, it's, it's a period piece and it's, and it's about, and it's a very difficult story and a more nuanced story. And I think that Tom Cruise actually managed to pull it off. He, he had really good chemistry with Nicole Kidman and those two were like this back in the late eighties and early nineties. Like yeah, they were, and literally they were, they were husband and wife. So yeah. <laughs> like they were like, like two hands, like they were completely <laughs> inseparable. And Ron Howard, despite the fact that the 2010s was not his best decade, I still remain a fan of his. And most of the movies that he has directed, I've, I've loved his directing style. And, and, he, and that is definitely prevalent in this version. And uh, this version, this movie. And so, yeah, this is, uh, this is definitely something that I didn't anticipate I would like all that much. And it turned out to be just quite good wasn't that land rush sequence pretty impressive yeah that was that was actually really really cool yeah i think that's the highlight of the of the film a uh, it's pretty long and just this very spectacle uh sequence where they're all trying to claim their lands and and uh it's uh it's it's very impressive I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Grapes of Wrath with Henry Fonda, but mm -hmm. it reminded me a lot of that. And yeah. and I know that like the Depression and the Potato Famine were like two completely separate things. But in terms of like in the Grapes of Wrath, Tom Joad and his family have to go to California to find new opportunities. But in far and in Far and Away, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman have to pack up and leave Ireland due to the Potato Famine to find new opportunity in America. So mm -hmm. different disasters, but similar paths for opportunity, if yeah. you want to call it that. Yeah. Yeah, and you think how hard it is to, to film a, a land rush scene like that and not have it just be dust, dust, dust everywhere uh, coming up. And so they had to control all of that and still make it visible and still make it and uh, and still make it entertaining. You could see what was all happening. So the sense of scope and everything is pretty pretty impressive that they were able to do. So I think yeah, I think it's underrated. It's not exactly like they had Adobe After Effects back then. So right, <laughs> they messed up. They had to start all over again. That's right. That's right. Uh, so my next pick is from our Hulu week. Uh, and I watched the pilot for Josh and Drake a series. And <laughs> I, I, for the most part, enjoyed it. I like, definitely love the sort of spirit of family and the relationship between the two brothers. And I thought it was very sweet. And uh, I, I, there definitely are some laughs and they go for it 
which I, I appreciated. Um, I, the Josh character was a little much for me sometimes. I was just like, oh, wow, this guy could get on my nerves. Um, but it, I still thought that the overall message of these two brothers, especially the way that Drake, uh, you know, came to help his brother in the end was, was very sweet. And I think especially if you had a mixed family and you were trying to kind of get everyone to get along, this would be a great show to, to watch and <laughs> watch together. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, Josh actually does get like, he does mellow out as the season go on. Like mm -hmm. he, he, he lost a lot of weight during the show's run. And when, when he loses the weight, it's like he loses like all of the stuff where he's like, he's obsessed with Oprah and he's like, he's like hugging people and all that. Like he just, like he doesn't stray too far away from that, but definitely the more annoying parts are sent are like rounded off mm, and he becomes yeah. a far better package by like season three or four, like season one and two are good, but season three and season four, it's like hooked that directly into my veins. Like that's <laughs> one of my favorite childhood shows. Yeah, yeah, I can see why, I can see why. And uh, yeah, the little girl, she's the, she's the, uh, the villain, <laughs> villain of the episode. Megan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's played by Miranda Cosgrove, who would eventually voice one of the daughters in the Despicable Me movies. I think the oh, old yeah. one. And she actually got off her own, she, she got her own spinoff show, I Know Words, uh, called iCarly, which is, oh. which is definitely a step down, I'd say, but it's still a lot of fun. Uh -huh. It's from the I've same heard of iCarly. It's from the same creative team, so so it's got the same writing pretty much. Yeah. You definitely had that sort of physical comedy that you see in Disney Channel series, uh, things like Jesse or you know sort of shows like that uh, that uh, or Hannah Montana, kind of that physical comedy, but. I enjoy that. I don't mind it at all. And I think overall the message of family was really nice. So I yeah, enjoyed it. Around the early 2000s, it was like Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, and Disney Channel were like, oh, reality TV shows are, are the new flavor of ice cream. We got to get into some of that. And so Nickelodeon, at least in terms of them, Nickelodeon created like Drake and Josh and Zoe 101 and Victoria Justice and, uh, and a bun and I think Amanda Bynes had a show at one time, and so, so they yeah. went they went all out on the uh, they went all out on the uh, on the reality shows to the point where nowadays when pe when you say Nickelodeon to somebody they'll be like oh the SpongeBob channel because they play nothing but SpongeBob reruns all night yeah. long like Nick at Night doesn't really even exist all that much anymore sad but know, that's, another sad. Story. that's another story for another time <laughs> all right what is your last pick so my last pick was from our canopy episode last week and it was leave no trace i finally saw leave no oh, trace yeah. and it was really good yes i it's ben foster in this movie is gave me serious like a run for my money in terms of favorite performance of this i think it's a slight edge still to hell or high water, but mm -hmm. it's like 1A and 1B. Like, leave no trace, he is excellent in the movie. The whole yeah. conceit of the movie is that he's clearly going through post-traumatic stress disorder, but he also is trying to keep that at bay 
while also trying to provide for his daughter in the best way that he knows how. And to the outside world, he looks like a complete loon bag, like a few fries short of a Happy Meal. But it, it kind of reminded me of like Jodie Foster in Little Man Tate. Like he doesn't have much, but what he does provide, he provides only for his daughter and does it to the best of his ability. And I know that that's a very weird comparison, but that's the comparison yeah. I made. So there it is. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful looking movie. Uh, it, it's got, it's, I can't remember the little girl's name, but she was also really good. Uh, Thomas and McKenzie. Thank you. She yeah. was really good in this as well. And I hope, along with, <coughs> pardon me, I hope with Elsie Fisher that they have, they become like the next, like, big things. Elsie yeah. Fisher was the little girl from eighth grade. So I, yeah, hope I think so. If you've seen Jojo Rabbit, Thomas McKenzie's also in that. She's wonderful in that. Uh, she she's just such a, such a warmth and uh, to her performances. I think she is going to be a big, uh, big star. Uh, and I, I think what this movie does so well is it shows that you can still love people in your life and not follow their path and not embrace their life and, you know just because you've chosen as a coming of age story uh which it really is it's actually a coming of age story that you know part of growing up is sort of realizing that you can still love your parents but you don't have to do everything like them you can still admire them but you can make your own path and i think it shows that so well and i just love the ending so much by in the whenever i watch the ending i'm just like yes you did it. You were so brave. That's so hard to do. And uh, for her to do that and uh, is really just so great. And, you know, when she says, uh, what's wrong with you is not what's wrong with me. It's not the same thing. Uh, and, and it's like said in love, but, uh, but it's true, you know, and that it's hard for him to hear that, but she needs to say it. So I, I just, I love, I love that. And I hope that the, you know, my, when I watch it, I'm like, oh, I hope everything turns out okay for, even though she's a fictional character, I'm invested. I'm like, oh, everything's okay. I hope everything turns out all right. Like she and has it those. does, and it's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, when they have to, when they leave the tree farm, I don't know, I just feel so sad for her. And uh, she's finally starting to feel kind of, uh accepted and and like there's a home and then all of a sudden uprooted again and so yeah i i i'm glad you enjoyed it because i really i just think it's a really really good film and so many of those off the grid movies don't work for me because they they expect us to sort of aggrandize this person as being sort of heroic and this free thinker kind of a thing. And that's not what they do here at all with his character. He, uh, he's not lambasted or anything like that, but he's not put up as some kind of free thinker. Like which I really appreciate He's a troubled man, but he does the best that he can. Yeah. And in that way, I sympathized with him. Yeah. Yeah, you sympathize with him, but you're not asked to kind of this is a fresh way of thinking that I should try to emulate or something like that. Like you get with, uh, with Captain Fantastic or with um, the Glass Castle, which I, I was I was going to say insert random picture of Glass Castle here <laughs> for no reason at all. 
<laughs> I hate the glass castle so much. If you want to watch a- my rant, over a thousand views on my rant on glass castle. <laughs> I'm a free thinker. Well, hold on a second while I rob this hospital. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> ah, this is the worst way. Kill my children, practically. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> the last pick uh, is from the Amazon, one of our Amazon episodes, and it is the Lincoln Lawyer. And this is a movie I'd heard about, but I hadn't gotten around to seeing it. And it's about uh, Matthew McConaughey's character is is this uh, fast talking, suave, slick lawyer. And he gets driven around in this Lincoln all day, going from pay—not patient—client um, to client and situation to situation, and he manages to talk his way out of most everything. And uh, he's honest, though. In he's not a—he's not a devious lawyer, like you sometimes get. He's honest, but he's just very good at his job. And I thought this was really good. I really liked it. I thought it was uh, very well executed with good performances. And uh, I, I don't know. I just really enjoyed the ride of this whole movie. I thought it was very entertaining. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This was like the beginning of the McConaissance. Like mm-hmm. this was Matthew McConaughey finally breaking out of not that there's anything wrong with that, the rom-com phase of mm. his career. And he was, like, a year after this, he would star in this movie called Mud, which is really good. Yeah, so and good. And then he would be in True Detective Season 1. And then after that, he was in Interstellar, which is my favorite McConaughey performance. And then he still is he still is acting on a consistent basis to this day and just wrote a book that I am very itching to read because I'm sure... That would have some great Texas stories, man. All right, all right. Yeah, listen to the audiobook. I think it would be good. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I felt like it was pretty unpredictable for this kind of story. And I I, I didn't quite know where the case was going and what was going to happen as far as, uh, as far as Ryan Flippy's character. And uh, I, I, I don't know. It was just the script was very tight, very well done, very well executed. And uh, I guess based on a book, but I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very well done and entertaining. So yeah, so it was a good choice. So there we go. That was fun. I, I, I really enjoyed doing these follow-ups of uh, recommendations from you and hopefully you enjoyed watching uh, my five recommendations. I say, uh, uh, yes, I did. I enjoyed all of them, first and foremost. But I present this to the room. I say the next follow-up episode we do is in 2021. All in favor, say aye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, because I uh, watching five movies in a week uh, is not going to be possible in the next two months, uh, three months. So, You're going to be a busy woman these yes. next Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be hard enough just to get this out every week but we're gonna do our best and uh, i'm excited about it and uh so yeah uh, let us know what you think if you have seen any of these films what you think of them we'd love to hear your thoughts in the comment section or on twitter and ryan where can people find you uh they can find me on facebook twitter instagram and letterboxd at ryan cam 20 
They can also find me on my YouTube channel, Ryan Cam's Movie Reviews. It'll be linked in the description. Uh, Scary Mania is running wild on my channel. Uh, today is a Monday when we're recording this, which means my episode for, uh, for 1931's Frankenstein has just dropped. And in the coming days, I'll be talking about The Mummy from the original Universal's The Mummy. And then I'll be getting to uh, some movies from the 1940s, uh, specifically The Wolfman, uh, The Mummy's Hand, and Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. And then after that, I'll be diving into the B-movies of the 50s, talking about Godzilla and the creature from the Black Lagoon. So a bunch of, lack of a better term, spooky fun going to be... Uh, talking about over on my channel and of course the afi project is still going down i i'm i watched the street watched a streetcar named desire recently so i'm going to start writing my notes for that also for movies like intolerance and lord of the rings and mash and the deer hunter and taxi driver and just a lot of great stuff coming onto the channel so if you haven't subscribed like now's as good a time as ever because y'all will be on the ground floor Yes, subscribe, please. You'll love it. Uh, so again, make sure you like this video, subscribe to the uh, channel. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. We really appreciate that so, so much. And uh, make sure you're following me all over social media, Rachel's Reviews, and also make sure you're following the Homeworkies podcast. Like I said, we're starting our Christmas season this week, so definitely don't want to miss out on anything. We're going to have interviews. We're going to have uh, lots of great content uh, over there. We've, we've, we're busy planning, busy, busy. So check that out. And uh, thanks again, and we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone.